0: Welcome to episode two of the First Strike Podcast, brought to you by facefacegames.com, Canada's largest Magic the Gathering online store. I'm joined once again, back from week one, from uh, some fairly good feedback. First, Doug Potter, how's it going, Doug?
1: You know, it's going good. It's going good. Uh, Monday's the start of my weekend. Monday and Tuesday I have off, and I'm uh, ready to start my weekend by just smashing Rob into the ground two weeks <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Fantastic!
0: DP Toronto champion back, Robert
2: Lombardi. How's it going, Robert? Uh, life's good. I'm kind of getting over a cold, so awesome. um, I- I'll do my best to battle back, Doug, and, and uh, keep him at bay. All right. I'm I'm pretty
0: happy with the feedback we've got from episode one. It was really everything was uh, for the most part, um, I guess almost everything was positive, and uh, except for the comment about the backdrop being my bed, so I pulled out these two old. MDSS banners, and um, it's looking it's looking pretty good. It's looking pretty good. I'm impressed. Uh, <laughs> we'll start with topic number one. Just fresh off um, the weekend, we had my friend, um, someone that represented Team Canada at Nationals, the uh, the old system at Worlds. Uh, Vincent Thibault ended up winning the face to face games, Open uh, Montreal Open, when there were roughly 146 players, which is a number I expect, like in Alberta, usually we don't even hit close to 100 in Montreal for these non-pro tour leading type of events. So I was really impressed that we had 146. He ended up winning with Aldrazi Tron. Um, not only that he win the tournament, but his teammate, one of his teammates uh, on his team called Team Fahvedet, uh, Maxim Chaket, ended up top eighting with uh, basically the same 75. And this isn't the first time I've seen him succeed as just this past season – Vincent Tebow actually won a PPTQ with Drazi Tron. And then when I posted a list in our pre-show group, Robert, maybe he was reacting to the whole top eight, but Rob was like, what the? So what do you think <laughs> of the list or the top eight? There was no, in fact, there was no abs on. So
2: what do you take away from this? Me first? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think actually what happened was um – These guys actually next, next level, both me and Doug. (laughs) So uh, Doug's arguing that, you know, Infect was the best deck to play last week. I'm arguing that Abzan is a really good deck uh, to play based on its position against Infect and the other aggro decks. And here these guys come in with, you know, like a mono colorless Eldrazi Tron list that, I mean, we we know that like Bant Eldrazi has a very good matchup against uh, Green Black X decks. And the way that they've built this deck, you know, for Chalice of the Void main deck, geez, like this thing just has a ridiculous matchup against Infect and all these other like one-drop aggro decks too. Um, I'm pretty impressed that, you know, they were able to kind of uh, pick the metagame apart uh, that way and, and come to a conclusion that looks like it's well-positioned about, you know, what people are trying to do. I think this deck's probably, you know, awful against Blood Moon decks, but I think the format... Um, based on its speed, has really pushed those Blood Moon decks down. So, I don't know, kudos to Vincent and, and the rest of your buddies from uh, from Montreal, KYT. Uh, these, these guys are in a pretty good spot for this tournament, for sure. Kind of makes me think about what I'm going to play next Sunday now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Doug,
1: what do you think about the top eight? Yeah, there's a staggering lack of the the heavy hitters, in okay. fact, Abzan, you know, even when we're looking at... Uh, looking for the Burn variants or, or Death Shadows. There's nothing like that in this top eight. And uh, I think the list is really cool that won the tournament. Um I am a big fan of the Expedition map. Tron, Tron is uh, something that's really fun. But the fact that there's no Karn in this list too, and you're a Tron deck without Karn, that's usually like what you want to be jamming on turn three when you go, you know, Mine Tower Power Plant. I think it's really cool. And and Endbringer is a card that I have had the, the chance to play against. I had an opponent... Who's playing a traditional Tron? Bring out an Endbringer into me and completely dominate the game. Uh, and for an Infect deck, if he's you know got me kind of on the back foot with a Dismember or a Chalice of the Void, and then he drops on like Endbringer, that card just goes <laughs> to town. So kudos to them. Uh, I do think that in a room full of Abzan decks, you know what Rob's championing. Of course, this is the type of deck that's going to rise to the top because like you have cards like Mattery Shaper. Uh, cards like Endbringer, which can get you advantage. Thought Not Seer, which can pick apart their hand. You have cards like Warping Whale, that, that, <laughs> not for the uh, Abzan matchup, but for something like Scape Shift, which is another thing that we brought up last weekend. Like It's just so cool that they have three main decks. So I've never played a game with this deck. I'm interested to roll it out on Moto. I want to play a competitive league with it because it just looks super fun. And uh, congrats to those guys. I I don't know how many of the team were playing the deck, if it was just the two, or if they had a bigger group. Um, that's something I'd be interesting to hear about, but to to see them both uh, in first and uh, in top eight is pretty sick. Oh, so, so
2: you both like this deck. Rob? This deck, I, I mean, I, this is not really a deck that I would like to play, but given the downturn of the use of Blood Moon right now, like that everyone's just trying to be these insane turn three kill decks, right? Like <laughs> playing a turn three Blood Moon is not really doing much. Um, this seems like to kind of be perfectly placed in a, in a meta uh, where, where that's true, right? And it kind of looks like it covers some of the holes that are left by the Bant Eldrazi deck in the current format. Um, you know, being able to play four main deck, Chalice, uh, has stuff like Batter, Skull, uh, and, and Warping Whale main deck. Um, it's playing some old forgotten favorites like Ratchet Bomb, on the cyborg, which is pretty sweet. Um yeah, I don't know. Altogether, this, this deck just looks like it was a very good choice for this tournament. It'll be interesting to see if it has any staying power. Um, I guess if it gains lots of popularity, then stuff like Blue Moon or whatever start, starts to rise, or or Grixis Blood Moon decks maybe, or even those like Free Wind Red uh, becomes popular again. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how the metagame shifts based on this deck's um, arrival. But I don't know. For, for the tournament... Uh, it seems like a good choice. I wish they would have just shipped me this list and not played it. It would have been a <laughs> nice easy ride to top four for the RPTQ. But it is what it is. Now I gotta make sure that I, I can also co- combat against uh, this strategy. So I think it'll probably be pretty popular next week at the the face to face RPTQ.
0: Um, Doug, uh, you mentioned Scape Shift. I actually was was there. I, I decided to to visit Determine. I didn't play uh, just to check how things were going, and uh, I stumbled upon it. I think it was round four, round five on table one. Vincent Tebow was against Scape Shift and, and warping well, allowed him to counter Scape Shift. And I, the Scape Shift opponent also had Ensnaring Bridge. And so it was interesting that sometimes when, a lot of times when I play decks, that they will just like fold to an Ensnaring Bridge, but he actually was able to, ping the person to death with, with Endbringer. I just, like, the deck still happens to have a way to play around a card that shuts down all your creatures, which I thought was kind of hilarious. Whereas with me, like, if I was playing something like, I don't know, Suicide Zoo or some Zoot's attack, and steering Bridge or Boggles, I'm just, like, I'm shut down. So that, that was really interesting to see.
1: Yeah, and he even has uh, Ulamog, of course, which could take out the Instaring Bridge. But uh, that that's kind of, like, my mentality when we were talking about the whole argument Last week, I was thinking about it when I re-listened back to what I had said, and I think where I'm at in this format is I really like to be proactive. I like to be the one that's kind of pushing the pressure on my opponents. I don't like to be the one with a lot of reactive cards that are situational. And when you look through this deck, you know, a lot of it is very proactive. You're trying to very quickly get your power online, get your creatures down, your reality smashers. Matter Shapers, your Thought Knots, you have a few cards that are just necessary like Dismember and Warping Whale, which aren't proactive cards unless you're using them to ramp, which certainly I could see you using a Warping uh, Whale on end step to ramp into something in this deck, but it's pushing a proactive game plan and it's using cards like Chalice uh, to make your opponent stumble as opposed to uh, cards like Might of the Old Crow to just make your opponent die. But uh, I do like that it is I feel like it's a more proactive version compared to Bantel Drazi. I have a big, you know, soft spot for Bantel Drazi, but if you just scroll down and look at the second player uh, in this tournament, he even has beast withins, because we're just in this weird part of the format where yeah, blood moons could just get you or your opponent could be doing all sorts of crazy things. So people are trying to add reactive cards to kind of just slow themselves down and be able to kind of uh, play blessed alliances and react to what their opponents are doing and these guys, like, they're, they're playing mostly all proactive cards, I'd say. Uh, and, and I think it's great. I like it a lot.
0: Mm, all right. Moving uh, to another topic, uh, most recently, uh, GP Chiba happened. And uh, I, I want to credit this to Jessica. Uh, shout out to Jessica for, for putting this uh, question to us to talk about what we think about the most recent uh, GP. Uh, when we hosted, when I mean we face-to-face games hosted uh, the GP, we had um, the GP price set at sixty dollars Canadian, and which is still a significant increase o- over the years. It's been going up and up and up. And then there's places that people feel are overcharging, but here we're seeing Chiba like go all the way up, but offering a service. That isn't seen, at least from from my perspective, I haven't seen um, anything like it, but maybe Doug and and Rob have. But Chiba, it's like 12,000 yen was the general entry. They didn't offer anything else, uh, any other option. It was actually free if you were a student, but that student promotion was capped. But what you got uh, for for your money, which is roughly, uh, last I checked, $107 U.S. So I think Rob said uh, pre-show roughly $140 Canadian, which is a lot uh, for any GP that have compared to any GP have entered. But you get um, its own app where you have push notifications once pairings for the round is posted. You have automatically automatic sleep in special for eligible players. You have cloakroom service free of charge. Uh, list registration is done online. You have free drinks and snacks offered to players. All the players in the main advance was not specifically the VIPs, as if everyone was a VIP. You had a phone charging area, and it was just basically you were pay- paying a baller price, but you were actually getting a baller experience. So uh, I'll start with you, Doug. What do you think about this uh, direction?
1: I'm a huge fan of this. I think that this is, uh, this is the way to go for the future, in my opinion. Like, we know that prices are going up. Um. There's a huge thing that happened years ago with the way that the judge program uh, gets paid. The judges now out of the TO's pocket as opposed to the foils. And so there's things that you can do for an extra ten or twenty dollars a head, like snacks, like charging stations. That when you have that capital coming in from a lot of people, it can afford to to give these little luxuries. And I think what they managed to accomplish for that price, or 107 or 110 dollars US, let's say is phenomenal, personally. Um, having snacks and, and water and drinks throughout the day and not having to have that be one of the things you're, you have mental resources uh, put towards is huge. I remember vividly being VIP at GP Vegas One and every round we had our own seats that we could sit in and every round we got brought water to us. And it was a huge asset to just have that rolling every single round without worrying about it. and and the snacks and then on top of this like you mentioned you know they they're going all out with push notification pairings like that's just that's a phenomenal experience and what when you're going to a gp for most people let's just say that you know it isn't a local gp if it's anything other than a local gp you're going to be spending hundreds of dollars to go you're going to be spending hundreds of dollars on your hotel you're going to be eating out you're going to be uh you're going to be flying somewhere right so to add on an extra maybe 60 ish dollars let's say that's just an approximate price that I'm going to say we're adding on to make the experience significantly better. I'm a huge fan for this and I am just going to bring it to um, close to home. when we're talking about these numbers. I was just before looking up GP Vegas, which offers uh, three GPs coming up this summer. And I know many people are going to be there. This is going to be a huge one. They, they've got a hundred dollar premium registration, very similar price and I think what you get out of the $100 there is significantly less than this 107 at Chiba. So, of course, Japan is a different economy than U.S., but I think that you can put great quality products forward that's more than just a sleep-in special and a meet-and-greet. And I'm certainly not trying to bash <laughs> other companies because I do think that some of the best GPs have been put on by some of these big North American companies. But I think that Haruya is showing that we have a lot to learn and uh, the the low price that we went with face to face as GP was one way of going, and that was amazing. I think another way of going is the high price baller status. I'm very pro what they did in Chiba.
0: Ooh, what do you think, Rob? That that sounds pretty good. Doug sounded. Uh, is was there a good
2: argument in there? I think he's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're insane, man. Um. So, okay, just just to level set on. On like what you're getting and how much it should cost, right? So I think Face when they ran the GP in Toronto that yeah, I won. Just you know, for the record, <laughs> I think it was seventy dollars to enter. Out of KYT can correct me if that's oh, 50, 60, right. 60 If you early bird, it was, even, it was even yeah. Okay, so it was sixty bucks. I'm I probably early birded. Uh, who knows? So so it's sixty dollars. So now we have like an eighty three dollar gap between the entry fee here and what you paid there. So are we getting eighty three dollars? worth of services uh for what they put out right so i agree code check pretty sweet but i mean when people have it it's like two dollars a day or something right so cool they gave you four bucks so now we're down to 79 dollars. drinks and snacks throughout the day i mean sure the vending sites are expensive but i mean if you can spend more than 20 dollars on drinks and snacks a day um i mean you're just being very inefficient right so let's give them the benefit of the doubt it's another 40 bucks right so we're still short. I mean, if you think about push pairings, I mean, I agree it's nice, but it's not any real tangible benefit than what they're doing with the online pairings board, right? I mean, I can just click load on my phone, find in page and type my last name. I'm like, you know, yeah, if they push it, I save myself five seconds, but is it worth $39? You know, I can't can't really say that it is. So, you know, where did that $39 go? And I think it went to that student free registration cost, right? Which I think was something like – there's like a few hundred people or something that, that were eligible for this uh, free entry if if I was reading their rep- website correctly. So, I mean, if you're interested in paying for other people's entry into the tournament and you think that that's a good way to increase the, the size of it or whatever, then, yeah, I mean, I guess you can be all for it. But for me personally, like I don't think that I would get the value – out of that extra, you know, basically over doubling the cost. And if you like talk to anyone that came to GP Toronto, um, they would just say that that face-to-face GP was like the best GP that they've ever been to. Um, it had the best value the whole way around. It was run great. Everyone was happy. Um, and they had also great services there. And they didn't need to gouge you for another 125% of the entry cost. Um, So while I agree it's nice, I think that they could put that money to better use and maybe come up with a better outcome. I'm all for paying more for better premium services. I just don't think that they kind of lived up to the hype there. I think they're probably uh, getting one up on the player base uh, right now. And they can because that's a legacy player base, and we know those people like to (laughs) (laughs) – That's how it is. (laughs) So get them. (laughs) I mean, I,
1: I do agree that it is significantly more when you're comparing it to Toronto, but Toronto isn't the typical GP. That one was significantly cheaper than normal. So I'm, I'm really looking at this compared to things similarly priced. And I think that the value is there. And I think that these other people need to either step up their game when you're spending $100 US for a GP or drop the price. Yeah. For sure, dropping the price would be ideal, but I just don't think that's going to happen. I, I really don't. So going forward, when we are already in this territory that $100 entries is kind of getting pretty standard, and I think within the next year or two, that's just going to be the baseline. These small things you're talking about, push notifications, having a dedicated app, they seem small, but it takes that infrastructure underneath to like develop these app and pay for that so that for the future, it's just there. Right. Yeah, so come
2: on, KYT could probably develop that push app in like a weekend. It's not very complicated, <laughs> right? You're going through a list of like people in a database and their email address and sending them a notification based on like what table they are. Like the information is very readily available and it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not complicated from a software that's perspective. Easy we, we don't see it,
1: right? We, I'm just saying we don't see it.
2: Don't let them don't let them trick you, Doug. Come on, man. Like <laughs> Faith has already showed us what you can get for sixty dollars. And what you can get is a very good GP experience. You don't need to pay that extra $80, 83 dollars or whatever, you know? So I mean, I, I just don't like it when companies, you know, try and set the bar somewhere and say, like, this is what you should be getting for this cost. Look what we did. When really you didn't, you didn't live up to what you said you were gonna do, you know. We see another company that's able to do as good or better with half less than half of the funding. Right. So why, why is it that you're, you know, only able to do that when you get 125% of the, of the income? And I, I agree that like, yeah, you know, hundred dollar GP or whatever that they should be having their services uh, at a certain level too. And I don't think they're there. And I think that that GP Toronto should kind of be the reference going forward. We shouldn't let these other big players in the States and in Asia kind of set the bar for what we think is a good service, because we're paying a premium premium price, but what we're getting is actually a subpar product to what we were already getting here in Canada. Now, for those of you, who, you know, weren't lucky enough to experience the face-to-face GP in Toronto, I feel bad for you. But let me tell you, these guys can do better, and I don't think we should stand for it. Hmm. Uh, I think I don't know. I'm. I would like a pretty. I uh,
0: kind of like maybe not for that price, but if <laughs> if if they were at at that uh, level of. Um, if everything was at a level where i I would like then then I think I, I enjoy I'm with Doug. I feel like I enjoy a lot of these little pluses. I think I would love push notifications and stuff like that. I think I would you know like to feel like a baller and I think a GP should feel like not a uh not just like a regular tournament. it should feel like something that like when I think about let's say like comic cons or something and and t- people tell me how much how expensive it is, you know I'm like, whoa, it's like close to three three digits sometimes or even more. And, uh, but they feel like they got what they paid, like a lot of, not everyone, but some of them feel like they got what they paid for it. So we'll see moving forward, hopefully all GPs uh, that everyone ends up playing, uh, they feel they got their values worth, uh, regardless of how much they are charged. So moving on to the next topic, we got uh, limited is becoming a lease here. Now, it's not just standard PPTQs. It's, it's either modern or people are dropping a bit of sealed or, or uh, Kaladesh sealed. So it's important for people to know a, a little bit about what you guys think, uh, especially because when we had started, before we talked about starting the first episode, there was a bit of disagreement of what the best pack one, pick one common was. So uh, here to make his case, his first case, I'll, I'll start <laughs> off with Doug. What is pack one, (laughs)
1: pick one? All right. So um, when I think about pack one, pick one, I think about two cards. And I think that uh, we have to talk about Welding Sparks. We have to talk about Renegade Freighter. And I think that this is a very typical uh, good removal spell versus a solid creature kind of debate. Now, I personally land on the freighter side of this debate because it's so much more than just a solid creature. This thing is colorless. That's really important. When you're in pack one pick one you don't have to define yourself to a color right off the bat all right uh, the second thing is it's not just a creature it doesn't die to sorcery removal so it has built in protection right so you've got this solid powerful three drop with built-in protection um, it's an artifact which is very important in kaladesh because there are artifact matters decks where your black creatures get plus one power maybe death touch uh, if you have an artifact uh, certain things require certain numbers of artifacts like inventor's fair. There's, there's just this little metal craft feel uh, to it. So, so it covers all of those bases and it also sends a fairly strong color signal to the person next to you. Now, pe- you know, pack one, pick two, you're not going to just instantly be like, Oh, red is open because I got a welding sparks. But if I'm de- deciding between those two and I continually give the red I'm playing really well with that person next to me, if I ship a renegade freighter, You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that I took a Welding Sparks, right? Because foils take up the common slot. Uh, It's a high indication, but that's not going to certainly mean that I can't get into red just the way that that things go. So um, this is a very powerful card, and it hits for five right away on turn four. Like, this card is a house. It ends games quickly. There's also some vehicle subtype things in this uh, set with the white guy that gives first strike and the red guy that gives haste. So I think all in all, uh, where I've landed on this debate going into the Pro Tour and coming out of the Pro Tour is pack one, pick one. It's Renegade Freighter. I'm slamming that card. I'm super happy.
2: <laughs> I, I, I do love me a Renegade Freighter. but I also love me a Welding Sparks, so, though. Um, I mean, okay, before I start my argument, Doug, like, you've played a lot of Kaladesh Limited, right? Yeah. Okay, I've played a ton of it. Um, I'm not yeah. sure if you're like 100 drafts deep like I am or whatever, but... Oh, there's a lot before the PT <laughs> and a lot after. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty deep. I mean, given your choice, if you could sit down at a table, what color would you want to be if you knew that you could be at least one color? Um,
1: is this just going into like the start of the draft or... Yeah, what like, they, they, they,
2: like you can sit down and be like, you can make a stamp saying that this color is going to be open to me what color would you want that to be? For me, it's between uh, green and black. Those are my right. two, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Not red. <laughs> right. So, so um, I'm also in favor of green. I think that on average, a mediocre green deck is, is as good or better than above-average other uh, color decks that don't have green. So I'm actually going to not argue for Welding Sparks. I'm going to not argue for Renegade Freighter. Instead, I'm going to argue for Thriving Rhino. Thriving Rhino is my boy. <laughs> um, and, and here's why. So I think that the power level between Freighter and Rhino is pretty uh, pretty close. Rhino's typically a 3-mana three 3-4 three, that can grow. Freighter's typically a 3-mana 5-4 uh, Trample. But it's kind of like an equipment, so it costs you another card to activate it, right? So you're getting, uh, you know, plus two power, but it costs you an additional card. Okay, fine. So Rhino's a 3-4 that doesn't cost you another card, and, and uh, Freighter's a 5-4 that, that does cost you another card. Then uh, Green is also very deep. Almost all the green commons are insane. You have, like, Pima Outrider, Kajuro Seed Sculptor, um, uh, Attune with Aether, even, like, Riparian Tiger is is fine. Hunt the weak is fine, especially when paired with the Rhino on turn four. You can just smash someone for four um, while clearing the way. So um, you do get some very powerful cards there. So I think if you put your foot down in green early, and we're talking about pick one, pack one common, right? So we're assuming that the rare and the uncommons are worse. Than freighter welding sparks and uh, and thriving rhino so it's not like i'm taking this over long toss cover or whatever i'm not insane um but if if rhino's the best green card in the pack i definitely want to put my foot down it makes it much more likely that i'm going to be in green and when i'm in green and the guy to my left is not um and there's a there's like a, a reasonable chance that the guy to my right is not i mean there is a chance that he is but um there's an equal chance that he's not. And I'm cutting green to my left. So I'm going to get a little bit rewarded on pack two, especially if the guy to my right is also in green, which, you know, half the time he's going to be. So we might be both very much cutting green, which means on pack two, I'm going to be the one that's getting those second, third pick long tusk cubs, third, fourth pick rhinos, you know, fifth, sixth picks, hunt the weeks and and have that bonkers deck. Um, plus there's a lot of ways that the green deck can go. It can be very aggro with, with red um, and white, or it can be more controlling with, Blue and green, or you can do like very fun things where you're playing rug and and, like kind of going off with whirler virtuoso and other kinds of sweet energy cards. Um, I just, I want to be, if I I can be in green, I want to be there. And if I can pick a rhino first in a pack that, you know, where that's the best green card, I think making that stamp is worth it, even if freighter is also in the pack. Um, And and in addition to that, everyone wants to play aggro decks in this format, it seems, unless they're you know, getting cute and trying to combo off. And freighter actually isn't great in the aggro versus aggro matchup, because it's costing you two cards to do similar amount of damage that your opponent's doing, and they just need one trick to get your freighter before you're way behind. And if you get blown out um, on a freighter attack where you thought you were getting in for five, but instead you've tapped a blocker, and now you're out your big creature, you're just, there's just no way you're gonna catch up. And I've seen it happen way too much in Kaladesh Limited, and I've definitely taken advantage of it a bunch, um, so I'm, I'm Rhino all the way, hundred percent go green. It's just far and above the best color in the format. Um, and yeah, I want to put my foot down on it. That's it. <laughs> you know, the, the Rhino is good
1: and it's great on turn three. You keep saying it's a three out of three, four, but I, I've found there's become so many late game ground stalls that happen. And when I'm talk decking this card, it's not something that breaks through. It's not something that, you know, I'm happy to be attacking with a lot of the time in the mid to late game. And I, I just can't get behind taking Freighter over it. Also, you mentioned combat tricks. A lot of the great one-drop combat tricks in this format work really well with artifacts. Like, they're plus two, plus two, and now indestructible, right? Giving a Freighter plus three, plus three. Like, plus one, plus oh, and, indestruct- or, or, and lifelink and indestructible on a card that's already a 5 for trample. I, I just think the Freighter, yeah, there's an investment of tapping uh, Servo is what I guess is, you know, or the two twos. Two servo. Yeah, some servos, or the two two that comes with <laughs> the servo, Lintz Artisan, that's the one that I was mentioning. Yeah, that's an investment, but the Rhino has an investment too. It has to be attacking to even start getting up there at all. So I, yeah, I'm i not, not in agreement. Welding sparks over Rhino, that one's for sure. Welding sparks <laughs> over Freighter, maybe we have a conversation. <laughs> uh, <wow. laughs>
0: I'll finish the segment by uh, just highlighting your boy, Rob. Uh, Vincent Agostino says, I think Ryan was a higher variance pick. I'm not sure the upside is there, so
2: we'll, <laughs> we'll finish on that. So shout out <laughs> to enough. <laughs> uh, first in the pudding, I guess. You guys can check out my, my moto. Uh, okay, okay. It,
0: so <laughs> 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 Moving on to the next one, something that has been um, – Talked about a lot, a ton, and even today, but uh, Melissa DeTora, I think either today or this week, open it up for discussion again by doing a tweet that said, what are your thoughts on the PPTQ system? Hashtag WOTC staff. Now, I feel like a lot of players, they have um, – what's interesting is when I've talked to different players about this, whether like the PPTQ system or the old PTQ system, is that they have a very um, narrow focus about the topic – They usually talk about it from a player's perspective, but there are other things like uh, stores, like do do people care that, okay, every weekend we shift to a different store and then now every other store don't have that many players every week or from a judging uh, perspective. People are saying like judges gain more experience at PTQs because there's more high level judges to, to mentor people. So there's different completely different angles uh, of looking at this instead of just saying, oh, it's, it's easier to grind in this system versus that. There's a lot more to that than this simple question. Uh, but Rob, what were your early thoughts on new versus old?
2: So Melissa DeTora was talking about this on Twitter recently. Yeah. Is she still yeah. working for WhatsApp? I guess so, right? If she, she had the hashtag WhatsApp. staff. Yeah, I wonder if they're, they're rethinking the system then. Interesting. So <laughs> anyways, uh, I'm definitely uh, for the PPTQ system. Um, for some of the reasons you, you kind of, you know, went over already, KYT, like the judges do get uh, some good experience at a lower level than than at the PTQ and kind of a, a more calm environment. It's it's smaller, it's it's slower paced. Um, but it also like, you know, this is Watsi throwing a bone to the LGS, right? So there was really like with the old PTQ system, if you weren't the major LGS in your area, you weren't going to be able to run these tournaments and, you know, I mean, for us here in Southern Ontario, we were getting like three, 400 people at these PTQs. So, yeah, it was great for some of the big Toronto stores who were running uh, running these events, right, because they're large enough to, to be able to do it. But for the shops around me in Hamilton, they didn't have the requirements to be able to run these events, and they were never really going to get there. Um, so – so with Wati implementing the PPTQ system, now the bigger stores still get what they want, which is the RPTQs, right? So it still draws people into them, and they're the ones that get to be able to run that. But now the smaller stores have uh, a reason for players that wouldn't normally come out to their shops to come out on a you know quarterly basis, really, I guess, right? And there's a bunch of stores that I've played at from, like, here you know all the way to like uh scarborough i guess like in a two-hour radius around me that i never ever would have visited um because there's just no point in playing like some stupid fnm like two hours away or whatever right but if it's gonna like potentially cue me for the next pt yeah i'm down to driving we'll make a day of it it's only going to be six rounds plus top eight right so it's not like you're out for the old ptqs or like a gp plus top eight right right there so you're looking at you know, 12 rounds in one day, your mind's just completely fried at the end of it. So, um, so yeah, I I think it's all upside. I mean, for the people that are bad, yeah, you got to grind more, sorry, but you probably weren't going to like just start crushing PTQs anyways, <laughs> right? So um, this is at least a way for you to have a chance at getting to the RPTQ level and, you know, slowly progressing your game. But I don't know, that, that's kind of where I stand on it. What do you think, Doug?
1: Yeah, it's it's hard to argue against the PP2Q system because there are many benefits you outlined. The the LGSs and traveling around to different stores, I've had a lot of fun doing that. Taking more trips to Calgary to visit friends because there's a PP2Q every other weekend. Uh, heading into gaming stores that I just haven't uh, been into. There's this store uh, that has become kind of fabled around the Alberta area in Camrose because they put on this PP2Q that. Is just insane value. They charge like $10 or $12. You get three meals, unlimited pop or water. Uh, and the meals are good. They're like Subway sandwiches and like pizza and like croissants. They have good pricing. Like the store owners are just these amazing women. The the lady who owns the place is just amazing. And so I'm going to Camrose and I'm supporting this. And yeah, that is all good and that. But I think it's just got some big flaws when it gets to the RPTQ level. Like you, you said, the the big stores are happy because they're getting their RPTQs. Well, I don't think it's exactly that simple. They have to fly out a judge if they don't have the right level of judge in their store. And that's a cost to them. They don't get prize support from WotC. They just get the foil cards. So they're usually like having to, because they're one of the premium stores, just accept a loss to have an Rrp2Q around. And I'm not a big fan of that personally from like the the store level. And I also really do miss the convention feel of a pizza P2Q. Now it wasn't quite the same as a GP, but it's kind of that next step from going from local store to going to Grand Prix. You have this 100, 150, 200, maybe if you're in Toronto, 300 person pizza queue and that has this feel of a small grand prix and from my experience and my growing up in the game ptqs are what paved the way for my ability to feel comfortable at the pro tour and comfortable at a grand prix and i'm not convinced that the rptq pptq structure does do that for newer players i think that for old guard who have been through it yeah it's easier to qualify in this new structure i think that's pretty clear you know, if you can win a tournament or if you can have an RPTQ invite from top eight in the last one, you just get to relax and you just have to top four, a like small-ish person tournament. So of course I'm going to champion, you know, getting to the pro tour this way, but I I actually prefer the old system. And I think that maybe there's a new system and I know where is like, what what could, what else could there be? But maybe it's like a PPTQ RPTQ route, but there was also an LCQ the day before that was. You just
2: stole the words right out of my head. I this know, isn't like fair,
1: but this is this is what I'm saying is like then you have a PTQ for one slot and you have the same structure as normal. Like I, I think that there's more work to be done. I'm not happy with just saying the the uh, current structure is great and and there's you know there's nothing else moving forward we can do, and, and I think like an LCQ. Not to the RPTQ, but to the Pro Tour that even all the competitors can play, you know, the day before, that could be the solution because then you still get your PTQs that I, that I so dearly miss.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I completely agree on that point about having kind of a last chance qualifier to the Pro Tour in some areas that are like, um, you know, have very heavy concentration of a Magic player base. So like uh I guess that would be like Vancouver on the West or or kind of where you are in Calgary, Montreal or Toronto, something like that. I, just to list Canadian cities that might <laughs> that might have it. I mean, like, yeah, New York, whatever, somewhere in Cali, San Francisco, something. Okay, cool. But um I, I agree. I think it would be it would be kind of interesting to have that last chance PTQ qualifier for like maybe the last fifty or so slots uh worldwide. It's not a huge uh uptick in the like it's maybe like a ten percent increase in player base to to the pro tour um so yeah as you were like ranting about how awesome the old ptqs were i was like yeah sweet i'm gonna suggest that we have this like last chance qualifier and then catch doug off guard and then he's gonna concede that i was right and here i am conceding that <laughs> that you had that idea just because you brought it up first and i was trying to save it and sandbag it so i, I think that um i think that That's a hybrid between, <laughs> uh, yeah fair enough i think that a hybrid of the two systems is, is actually kind of where where it would be and that that'd be kind of interesting right because um then you kind of you have this like mini GP in in an area where most people can get to, um, kind of every quarter or maybe it's you know twice a year or something like that. They kind of split it up. Um, I, I think that would be I think that would be cool. I think that would draw a lot of attention. And then the the big stores that don't have a, a GP going on for them uh, and that time frame can can actually host a, another large tournament at a at a smaller convention site or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. I'm down with that.
1: And, and I, I want to- listen. I think you also could, you know, not even have an uptick in player base if you just modified the uh, RPTQ structure to say maybe if you have less than forty players, you only qualify two to the Pro Tour. If you have more than forty, you qualify four. There's no, may, maybe forty is not the number. Maybe sixty is the number. But if you look at the analytics, you're going to have places like Edmonton that had like a twenty-three person RPTQ. In my opinion, that deserves two people going. Like that's as much effort as four people going out of 60 like honestly just rounds you have to win and you know so you, you could probably like look at the numbers and implement something like that uh that could get you some extra slots in the pro tour so that you don't even have to have a big uptick
2: yeah that, that's fair i am totally fine with reducing how many people from the west coast are allowed to go to the pt Okay, <laughs> <laughs> be... just out and <laughs> the guys or whatever come on no no it makes sense it makes sense like i i agree like you know, going three, two, or like three, one, one, and drawing and then winning a round is not really an accomplishment that should kind of send you to the yeah. PT, right? And it, it does now. So uh, I, I agree with your point that they could do more modularity in how many slots you get based on how many uh, entrants there are in the RPTQ. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I just want to finish by saying, um, Rob, you had mentioned actually that. Uh, some judges, like I guess level one, might get more experience uh, judging these PPTQs. But I think that uh, a lot of judges feel like the old system is better in terms yeah. of mentoring. Like the L2s get to teach L- the L1s more. There's more intercommunication. So there's, there's that aspect of it.
2: Um, uh, Rob, you wanted to? Yeah, so I, I think that this uh, gets L1s to an experience level where they feel more comfortable being L1s faster. And I think the old system. Um, gives people that want to go to L2 uh, an easier route to do that, right? Because you're not trying to... Uh, it, it's hard for a lot of judges to to get L2 um, when they have to try and find a GP to get mentorship and get the proper testing and get the kind of hours or, or I, don't, I don't even know what the system is. Whatever they need to do, I, I hear they're doing it at GPs, right? So uh, I agree. So even more merit to having this kind of hybrid system that me and Doug just thought up that you know I thought up at first, but I kind of let him have it or whatever. Um so that, you know, we kind of get the best of both worlds.
1: <laughs> I, I will say, Rob, just so you know, because you might not be aware that um you have to be an L2 judge to judge a PPTQ. And I know for Alberta PPTQs, because of the size of them, most of them only just have the L2 judge. Some of them will have an L1 as well, but a lot of them are 20 to 40 person events that it's just an L2. So as an L1 in my local community, trying to get more experience, this system means I cannot get that experience. Oh, you need to be an L2 are... to,
2: to be a PPTQ judge?
1: Correct, to be a head judge. That's
2: a blowout on my part. You, you can judge <laughs> under a head
1: judge, and I have judged two PPTQs, and some of them will have one L1 judge with the head judge, but yeah. the whole system could have one or two head judges with four or five
2: L1 judges, let's say. Yeah, so. that's, that's fair. I mean, I, I don't know why we need an L2 for a PPTQ. It's kind of almost like a GPT. Um, yeah, so maybe I, that's I a requirement agree. that needs to change in the future. But. I agree. That's another problem. <laughs> yeah. uh, well. So. Well, for well, that, another day.
0: <laughs> that was a good point, Doug, because I think L1s can judge GPTs, but yes. because uh, it comes back to the same problem that every other weekend there's a PPTQ, like face we stopped hosting gpts because no one would show up so why why would you do a gpt like constructed tournament maybe another format to hope to get that crowd but like everyone who would play a gpt also is the same crowd that cares about making it to the pt so like we're getting tournaments that either like eight people show up or don't even fire so how's that experience for the l1 judges so yeah uh,
1: and i do just want to clarify it's head judge just so that you know, you can judge these tournaments, but you can't head judge uh, PPTQ. just so that that's clear. All
0: right. fair, fair. Moving to something interesting, which is new formats. Uh, new formats, we've seen them come and go. Some of them, like, for me, I've seen tiny leaders come and go. Um, but now we have something called Frontier, which is uh, you get to play with all the cards from all regular corsets and expansions since magic 2015. Um, and, but the difference is, I feel like this is getting some level of support that I haven't seen uh, in tiny leaders, but I have I wasn't like, as I was never an EDH guy, so I don't know how much support tiny leaders got, but here we got Harry and big magic that they've announced, um, that they would be hosting weekly tournaments in that format and then face-to-face games Toronto uh just hosted a showdown that that uses this format and I think they're planning to make theirs a very regular thing as well so Doug do you see are you optimistic about this format
1: yeah i'm really optimistic about frontier um i think that modern had this huge buzz about it if we just look back a couple years ago and um uh, you know, everyone was talking about modern when there was no modern Pro Tour. People were freaking out, and they were like, "Bring it back!" And they had modern in Atlanta. And there's this this thing about modern where you're getting to play with older cards that you you know you've gained some affinity for, and you you really enjoy. And uh, they do interesting things when paired with newer cards. And sometimes that gets pretty busted. And and you know you you're killing faster than you can in standard. But it's not quite legacy that is dealing with, uh, with a reserve list as far as card prices, right? So you can get into Modern you know, with certain decks much cheaper than you can um, the other Eternal formats. So uh, taking that mentality into where Modern is now, it's not a great format. It just isn't. You know, It's cut from the Pro Tour. It's not in a really fun place. Most of my friends that are going to the RPTQ uh, are just unhappy it's Modern. And in comes Frontier. This format that kind of adjusts a lot of what I believe are inherent problems with Modern just by moving the furthest set back you're allowed to play forward. You cut out Phyrexian mana. You cut out a lot of busted turn three, turn four kills. And when you're looking at Frontier, I was spending some time on Reddit and I pulled up a short list of decks that are considered to be viable. We were were looking at Rally decks, uh, Jeskai Black, Insole Artifact decks, Atarka, Red Green double strike energy aggro just like in standard right now there's a four color deploy the gate watch deck like people are actually deploying the gate watch in frontier and like there's uh, (laughs) with court of calling and metallurgic summons there's so many cool decks in this format and yeah you know people have complained about coco and people have complained about rally and, and and some of these cards that i'm saying yay we get to to play are maybe typically not you know, said to be the most fun cards individually. But I think that when you put them all together in this format, we've got something that's dynamic, it's interesting, it's not solved. Um, you wouldn't need a heavy ban list, I think, to just pick apart some of the unfun cards. And the price point to get in is not huge. Of course, it will, yes, go up if this becomes a massively played format um, because people will want to get in. But I think it's much easier to find... Uh, these type of cards or see them reprinted somehow in, in some a uh, special deck than it is to keep playing the Tarmogoyf Flattery every time they do a Modern Masters so that I think Frontier's great and I, I love that it's uh getting picked up
2: Ooh. yeah I'm pretty against it <laughs> <laughs> uh, no no surprise there so I mean, it just has a lot of inherent flaws, and not like the format. Maybe the format's great. You know, the decks are interesting, whatever. It, that doesn't really matter. What matters is that you're kind of fracturing your player base further, and that's bad for tournament attendance. So um, I, I don't know how long you guys have been playing. I've been playing for a very long time, like uh, upwards of 20 years or so. <laughs> and, and I remember, like, before Commander was a thing, right, Uh and I, I still see these guys at the store. You know, they used to come to FNM all the time. They used to draft with us. And we would have, like, 32-person drafts on, on FNM at, like, a local Hamilton store. It's just, like, some run-of-the-mill Hamilton store. It has 32 people drafting at it, right? Um, this, is, this is great, right? And then Commander gets very popular, and then you see these guys just hanging out in the store playing EDH <laughs> with each other. And it's like, yo, are you guys going to draft or what? <laughs> And they're like, "No, no and there's like you know ten of them sitting around at a table doing well i'm I told I have to be PG. So you know how they do, right? Just hanging out and and kind of kind of hang you know chilling with each other and and you know dirtling and and going off and make sure no one dies before turn eight or whatever happens in wow ADHD. so i if you can't tell, I'm, I hate multiplayer magic a lot, but anyways <laughs> so if you create this format, it's going to be drawing from some standard players. So the people that are like, yeah, you know what? I don't really want to keep up with Standard, but I don't have an investment in Modern already. This kind of suits my need because I was playing Alves on Aggro or I was playing uh, Rally Coco or, or whatever, um, you know, a, a year or two ago. Uh, so I already have these cards, so I'll just jump into Frontier. Okay, so now you lose – you steal – players from standard because they're not going to bother keeping up with that and then you have the players with modern that are like oh this format's still yada 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 i don't want to invent anything new i'm bored blah 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 and then they're going to jump on frontier because like they feel it's fresh um when really like if they just paid the same amount of attention to bring something in modern that they would probably be able to keep the format fresh for themselves anyways um if they were already invested in that format so i just i hate it when we like splitting the that you know that player base up so now you have you know, eight people show up to a modern event where normally you'd have 16 and you have eight people show up to a frontier event and then you have or maybe uh, 16 because it's like got some buzz around it. But then you have six people show up to standard and it can't fire because you stole four of the people from standard into, into frontier, right? And, and it's just like it's not good. It's not good for the system. So, um, I mean, if, if it gets to a point where no one's playing modern anymore like it was with extended a few years ago, which is why they, you know, created Modern. Then I understand bringing Frontier in, saying like, okay, guys, this format's um, too expensive or whatever, or no one cares about it. But here's this new format, play this instead, and if everyone hops on it, cool. But I, I don't know. Lots of people are playing Modern. I don't, I don't see a point in kind of like splitting the player player base some more. I want to keep those tournaments large.
1: But I think like when you said you're you know taking people who you know standard for them maybe kind of getting stale or modern for them maybe kind of getting stale and they're going to move over what i'm noticing is there's attrition these people are just quitting magic or they're not playing as much like i see people that for some standard formats are in my local store all the time and then you know it rotates and they don't like the new standard and they don't have a modern deck and they just disappear for a while maybe they draft maybe they're just not around and i think frontier has the fact that it's kind of got so much standard relevance of the last year or two it's going to keep these people in the game and when i let's say have just had my four color coco rally deck rotate out and i'm thinking i don't really want to invest into standard again like i'm going to lose money in the end again anyways until these cards become modern playable but if i have frontier it's like yeah i'll keep keep buying new cards, keep playing Magic, keep getting my friends coming with me because I can use them in Frontier. And sure, that argument will in three, four, five years will once again become null because they will probably not be using the new standard cards when we have a million neat interactions. But I'm talking about the now, I'm talking about the next two or three years. And heck, if we have to invent a new Frontier every five years, I think that's a good thing for Magic, honestly, because it keeps it fresh and innovating and changing.
2: So you want you want a rotating eternal format. <laughs> it's kind of a weird request, right? Like you have a rotating format. It's called standard. <laughs> and yeah, you have a you have a non-rotating eternal format. It's called modern. I think so it is
1: bigger than standard. That's my point, right? But it can't get too big. That's that's where I'm at with with modern. So then you're you just basically push all new cards out except for two or three cards a set. That's just how it works.
2: You're just basically against eternal formats altogether then, right?
1: I'm not against them, but I think that having something like Frontier to attract buzz and bring people in, it's not at a huge detriment to Modern. I don't think that the Modern aficionados are going to stop playing. I don't think it's going to hurt the legacy base. And if anything, I think it will kind of revitalize Standard. That's my opinion on it.
2: I I definitely disagree (laughs) on those points about revitalization. I think it's a short-term fix. Um, Like, No pros have got their hands on this format yet, right? So... Like, what happens when Owen Curtainwall just looks at it and builds the best Rally Coco deck, and it's just the default standard, and nothing else comes close to it? And since the format's not curated, it has no ban list, no one's really looking at the actual power level of it. Once someone that knows, actually knows how to build a deck to, like, combat a metagame, or, like, go above and beyond and really be next level on what people are doing, once they do that, like, then this format just gets stale. And then, so what are you going to do? Like, like, this format sucks, let's go back to modern. Well, you already said modern sucks. So um I think it's probably we should spend our effort looking at maybe, okay, if people are not happy with modern, which I would disagree that they, they are not, since I, I think it's the most popular format uh, that people are playing, then um we should spend our effort there. If that's the case, I don't think it is. So maybe then Wizards should focus their effort on standard and find out how to make that format more interesting i know they've done a bunch of changes where they're like let's make an 18th month, month rotation oh whoops we kind of screwed that up let's move it back to 24 but maybe it's something else maybe the format actually wants to be a 30 month rotation or maybe it wants to be a 36 month uh rotation so i'm not sure that i don't think Frontier's the answer i just think that three formats is too much for people to really get invested in and stay up to date on and, and really care about um, i think most people are in for about a format and a half. Like myself, I draft whenever I can draft, and I'll play standard or modern when I have to. Like when there's an event coming up, I don't like. I don't know if you're just like hanging out at FNM with your bros playing standard because you love it, or or modern. It's probably not true. Frontier, maybe you're doing that because it's interesting. A year from now, you're probably not anymore. Um, and I think a lot of people are like that, right? They have a modern deck, and they'll play modern, and then sometimes they'll draft, or they'll play standard, sometimes they'll play modern, but they're not like deeply invested in. in into two formats, and there's just no way that they're deeply invested into three. I would be very surprised.
1: Yeah, but I'm I'm not arguing that people get invested in, you know, three formats. And guys like us, if Frontier is the way to qualify for the Pro Tour, Yeah, I'm in on playing it. it. So, if it's the way
2: to qualify for
1: the Pro Tour, then I'm playing it. <laughs> and so my point is, we're not the ones that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people that are just going to, you know, pick a format that they want to have fun with. They're going to invest their money in this game, and they're going to continue playing it. And I just think that I do think that modern is getting to a point where it's just getting too stale and new cards aren't coming into it, which means people are going into modern. They're not looking to buy new cards. They're not looking to purchase booster packs. They're going for signals, which is why card prices are going up. And frontier is new enough that it gets new cards. There's a tier one. Well, I don't know if it's tier one, but there's a heavily played frontier deck that is using a ton of Kaladesh cards. Like, I I just think that having a bigger standard format as well as standard could be a benefit. All right.
2: standard than
0: shit.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Let's <laughs> wrap this up. Uh, I'm, I'm optimistic uh, for this format in the Toronto region because of uh, – like I talk about face-to-face games. Toronto, we're really pushing it, and especially Tony Cameron and, and Matt Mealing. I even started their own website, mtgfrontier.com. You guys should check it out if you're interested in the format. And also, they've got a podcast – on the format so those guys are really pushing it so i'd be really optimistic uh about that format in, in the, especially if uh you're in the face-to-face games toronto proximity so i'm excited to see what happens there um to wrap up the show we're gonna do something that rob uh, has wanted to get off his chest so we're gonna do this <laughs> biggest biggest pet peeve and, and we'll let our listeners decide between Rob and Doug, who who has the one that's like the most annoying
2: uh, pet peeve about players? Whose gripe has more merit? (laughs) Okay, let's get it off the chest right now. Go go ahead, Rob. Okay, so, I mean, my biggest magic pet peeve is when people use the term main board when they're trying to address their main deck. Uh, And I don't understand where this terminology came from. I understand... I've heard rumors that it came from Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, which is uh, maybe more tilting (laughs) as well, but it kind of makes no sense. Why would you say main board? I mean, even if you look at the deck registration sheets, it says main deck right on the sheet. How did you get this word main board into your head? And then when someone comes up to you and says, hey man, is is it in the main or the board? What does that mean to you? Is it do you just assume that the board is the sideboard? But that's kind of weird because you're calling your main deck the main board. I don't know. I just think it's completely ludicrous. And, and it, it pains me when people say it. I just want to, I want to get physical with them, but I don't, obviously. But my face goes red, red with anger every time. I don't know. It just drives me nuts. So, people, please stop. I mean, now I'm just, people are going to flood my Twitter account with the word main board. But that's you know. a good word. Be a good person. Main deck. Doug, do you think that's a that's
0: a It's not a thing. Offense?
1: That's not a thing. Like, <laughs> if, if they say main board, you know exactly what they're talking about. Like, the, the 15 cards you can additionally bring in are called a side board. The word board is there. So main board, I mean, it just seems like in its extension from that. You don't call it a side deck. Or do you get tilted when people call
2: it a side deck? Probably. I would is. be so tilted if someone called oh it a my side goodness. deck. It's just people
1: communicating. You know exactly what they mean. Like, come on. Give them a do We break, have to all though. speak
2: the same language, Doug. We can't just be making up words or else it's anarchy.
1: <laughs> it's not even a gripe. Uh, Doug, what's your gripe? <laughs> okay, so when Rob really wanted to push this, I had to think deep because... <laughs> not a lot of things really bother me at tournaments, but there is one that kind of subtly gets under my skin and maybe it's a bit too nuanced. So I might not get a lot of votes, but um, you guys know, there's that guy that when you're at a PPTQ, or you're at a GP or whatever, and you walk up to him, maybe it's the end of round five. Okay. And you just say to him, Hey, what's your record? And he looks back at you and says, 10-0. And you're looking at him like, okay. Well, I'm glad that you're 5-0. I didn't need your game record. That's not what I was asking for. Because when I ask you and you've got some game losses, you never, ever, ever, ever say, oh, I'm 11-3. and three, And so i am actually going to draw this tournament. Like, no one ever says that. The only time the game record is ever used is if the player hasn't yet lost a game. But guess what, bro? 2-1, 2-0, they're both a W. Hey, 1-0 and going to time, still a W. Doesn't matter to me. So when I say, hey, what's your record? You can respond with zero. That's what a lot of pros use. They just say the number of losses. That's fine. Communicates it to me. You can say XO. That's fine. Five-0. That's fine. But 10-0, like I don't even know what you're trying to say. Did you? Yeah, I, I, I think you've got my points. Just tell me your record. I don't care about the games. It's irrelevant. Like, what if you said, it's round five, and I walk up and you said, 7-0. What does that mean? Do you have a draw? Wait, do you have two draws? How many games? No, he has two wins,
2: that he went 1-0,
1: 1-0. It's clear. (laughs) Crystal. And then what about the other five games? So he's played five other games and
2: won them. Look, no one needs to think about what actually happened. So he has a third draw people actually say twice. this i've never people seen i've never asked someone for their record and they're like tell me how many games they win. i've heard people say like 3060 being like you know the not so humble brags like yeah bro i've been crushing it um i think that's fine but you probably get tilted off that anyways no, i think was fine that's fine
1: okay. you told me it's 3-0 and okay you bragged but if you just said 60 like get out of my tournament
2: I think it's off. more tilting when, like, people come up to me after every round and ask me what my record is. Oh, like, yeah. Shut up and leave me, me alone.
1: Especially when I'm losing. They're like, hey, Doug, are you If I tell out? you
2: my record, that's when you can know what my record is. <laughs> Otherwise, look it up in the parents' This is before or after <laughs> you became a GP champion, though. Oh, this is before. <laughs> <laughs> Although I didn't mind sharing my record at GP Toronto, I guess. <laughs> right. I, yeah, I, I, still
1: live, still
0: live, still live. I was
1: <laughs> so happy to get eight fun tiebreakers, get into that top eight. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: Vince, <Vitz, laughs> is uh, trying to trying to get you, Doug. He's like, uh, but your boy Sammy T does that. Ooh, <laughs> I didn't know I, that.
1: <laughs> my boy Sammy T tilts me so. <laughs> Biggest gripe, 17.
0: <laughs> Biggest gripe, 17.
1: <laughs> I like it. I like it.
0: All right. That does it for episode two. Thanks to everyone who provided questions. Uh, we w- didn't have time. We still have a list of things to get through. But uh, surely uh, we will get to them eventually uh, in episode three, four, five. Just keep coming in, and uh, we'll see you next episode. Thank you again, Doug. And thanks, Rob, for, for joining me on First Strike episode two. See you later, guys. Thank you.